and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. French President Macron's visit to China has the Atlantis' world and neocons of all stripes in an uproar. Instead of being a mere cutaway in service of Washington, the French president actually stood up for his own country and Europe. But is Macron a buck short and a day late? Cross-talking Macron's visit to China, I'm joined by my guests, Rachel Marsden in Vancouver. She's a syndicated columnist and RT contributor. And in Pittsburgh, we cross to Anthony Moretti. He is an associate professor at Robert Morris University. All right, Cross-talk rules in effect. That means you can jump anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Rachel, let me go to you first in Vancouver. Thank you. I know it's an ungodly hour there right now. But, you know, I think you've known me pretty long, and I've never been a big fan of the French President Macron. But what he had to say in Beijing and his his flight home and what he said subsequently from uh, re uh, returning from Beijing, he's sticking to it. And you know what? I agree with a whole lot of what he has to say. My only lament is why is he saying it now and not years before? Rachel. Oh, I'm sure it had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he walked away from China with a major deal for France's Airbus, which, by the way, is in big competition with uh, America's Boeing. They're in a duopoly globally. So the deal that he got in China was 160 new commercial vehicles for China made by Airbus and the doubling of the uh, assembly and production in China for Airbus. So I'm sure that did absolutely nothing to sway his opinion that maybe it's good to keep <laughs> that relationship with China, particularly in light of the fact that Europe has gotten nothing but grief from the United States, even though it's gone along with everything um, in terms of uh, Washington's agenda in Ukraine. For example, uh, it, Europe cut off cheap Russian gas, which fueled its, its whole economy, essentially, and industrial base. And what did it get in return? Really expensive LNG, liquefied natural gas, from Washington at three to four times the price, as per Macron's own words. And he went over there to Washington and talked about all this to lawmakers last December. And he even said, look, you have this new Biden's um, Inflation Reduction Act as well, which is really protectionist against European industry. So that's going to harm us. The expensive energy you're sending us now in lieu of the Russian gas that we cut ourselves off of to please you guys is killing us. So he goes over to China and, oh, suddenly it's starting to look pretty good. You got a few darts on the board, economically speaking, at a time when inflation is skyrocketing in Europe. And they're facing all these other mm -hmm. problems because of the U.S. and its agenda and the blowback from that. So um, suddenly, <laughs> in light of all that, he, he is suddenly miraculously singing the praises of strategic European autonomy. <laughs> I think that's the context we're looking for. <laughs> Well, you know, I, that's the term. I wanted to bring that up in the program, this, this strategic autonomy. Anthony, what does that mean to you? Because my criticism of Macron is that he does say the right thing sometimes, but he doesn't really always act in the same way. Now, Rachel brought up you know, this trade deal that he got with Airbus. That, that's really good for France here. But there's, I don't see a whole lot of consistency here. He's very, very on board with Washington's agenda. And as Rachel has just shown us here, I don't see what the French and the Europeans really get out of it, but they keep continue to do it. As a matter of fact, European elites compete for Washington's favor for what return, I don't know. But so what, in your mind, what does this strategic autonomy mean? Because it's just a phrase to me. Go ahead, Anthony. 
I agree. I mean, I think on one level, I see it as just a phrase, but on another, I wonder if there's a recognition that, you know, let's face it, for the better part of a generation, it was a unipolar world. The United States basically said, here's how it's going to go. And you either got in line or you face the consequences. With China ascending now, especially as an economic power, becoming more and more uh, a player on the on the military stage as well, the Belt and Road Initiative perhaps being the the, the, the signature economic initiative, I think suddenly you're looking at countries, uh, particularly in Europe, that are saying, well, wait a minute, do we have to play the U.S.-led game into perpetuity, or is there another option for us out there? And at the same time, and I don't know if the timing perhaps is coincidental, but don't forget, too, you've got that latest set of leaked documents in the United States, which, although might seem tangential to the conversation, is another example. And Macron certainly remembers this, as certainly if you were going to talk to Angela Merkel, she'd tell you the same thing. Hmm, the U.S. spies on its allies. That's something that, when it happens, the Americans refuse to really take, uh, uh, excuse me, take um, or acknowledge it and try instead to, 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 to deflect mm. criticism the other way. So I wonder if what's basically happening is the Europeans are saying, hey, wait a minute, we can deal with you over here, but we can also deal with you over here. Yeah, well, and, and Rachel, it's, it's something that hasn't been mentioned in all the noise, but particularly Politico seems to always be um, uh, ahead of everyone on this. I don't think that's a coincidence, okay? I think, I think they play a very strategic role in channeling information. Um, but, you know, the criticism of Macron, but, you know, at the same time, they're blowing up the, the Nord Stream pipelines. I mean, I, I think some people in Europe saying, these Americans, they're, they're more than crazy, and they don't care about us here. On a more, on a more uh, sober note. Rachel, I mean, do you think that there's a sense of causality here? Is it what is Ukraine, I'm sorry, what is France getting out of this whole endeavor in Ukraine? And now the Americans are talking about Taiwan. I think that, you know, Macron is saying, look, you know, we went in on this one. We have no say in what's going on. The Washington doesn't want a negotiated end to this conflict. And they're, and they're brewing up something in Taiwan. I think Macron is saying, look, we went with you on Ukraine. We're not getting anything out of it. We're getting negative returns, actually. And now you want to bring us in to take on a ma our major trading partner here. I mean, maybe is it just, you know, out of desperation? Is it because over the last year and a half, what has the U.S. done for Europe? What has the U.S. done for France? I can't list one thing. Rachel. Yeah, well, I think France has been looking to see what it can get out of this whole conflict since the beginning of the conflict, if anything, in the same way that Washington has found a way to ramp up its military industrial complex with weapons for Ukraine as a result of, you know, being able to justify more spending in the defense budget and um, more profits for shareholders of those um, big, big companies in the U.S. military industrial complex. So recently, France has kind of queued into that and they said, well, Okay, well, the EU is now allotting 2 billion euros for weapons for Ukraine. And there's um, a bit of a catfight happening right now within the EU, and it's kind of come to a head this week. And it's between France, which is arguing we should be able to use that funding for your Ukrainian weapons in the EU to produce them in the EU. And France obviously would be a huge beneficiary of that since it is the big weapons uh, producer in Europe. And on the other hand, you have the Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki in Poland who's saying, no, um, 
we shouldn't be able to use that in the EU. It should be able to be used everywhere. Well, that's hardly surprising because he's basically acting as the big advocate for Washington right now within the EU. And is Poland's a big beneficiary of um, American weapons. So it's not too much of a stretch to imagine that he might just be advocating in favor of spending EU money on the military industrial complex in the US, but France is trying to get something out of that because really, as you mentioned, Peter, France really hasn't gotten anything out of this whole thing so far. Yeah, well, Anthony, you know, uh, if there is a French politician in history that I'm a great admirer of, and it's Charles de Gaulle. I think he was a great, a great, uh, a great uh, French president, a great European leader, and an inspiration all the way to this day because he did say, when talking about the United States, he said, allied but not aligned. I think he's being proven right still again, okay? Uh, and, and this is what I think Macron is actually trying to get at. And you know what? The, the, the global south is saying exactly like saying, oh, we can align with you, but we're, you know, we can be allied with you. We can agree with this and that, this principle. And all, but no, we don't have to get aligned with you and limit our options. And I think this is, the, uh, Macron is sending a shockwave out there to people that know that this is a possibility and it's actually being acted upon by the majority of the countries in the world. Anthony. I agree with you, you know, and, and there's another issue about the, the, this whole military uh, conversation that I don't think we can ignore, and that is that um, even the most staunch supporters of the Iraq war from two decades ago will have to admit it did not end well. Even if you were the most staunch supporter of the U.S. military effort in Afghanistan, you have to admit it did not end well. And so as a result, now you look at you know what's going on in Ukraine, you're roughly 15 months into this military conflict. There's been billions upon billions of dollars in, in military weapons spent. And we basically reached perhaps a slog, perhaps we're we're at that, you know, that that dreaded you gain a little bit, I gain a little bit, and at the end of the day, not much happens. In other words, you've got a lot of people, I think, justifiably saying, wait a minute, this whole military industrial complex that Rachel hinted at a minute ago, where exactly has this proven effective? Because yeah. the US engaging in recent military conflicts has not gone well, has damaged the the, the US name around the world, has damaged the, the notion of democracy around the world. Uh, and I think Again, it adds yet another layer to the conversation that says, as you suggested, yes, we can be friend with with your with, with you, but maybe we don't want to walk lockstep with you and everything that you choose to do. Well, Rachel, I mean, we we had the, the the 20th anniversary of the illegal invasion of Iraq, and so when you have Anthony Blinken talking about the virtues of democracy and autocracy, I mean, he's laughed out of the room in most uh, serious places in the world right now, and 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 you know, and, and France is a serious country, okay, and it, it it no longer is is playing along with this ridiculous charade, Rachel. Yeah, well, you mentioned Charles de Gaulle the former French president. And he famously kicked the Americans out of France in the wake of the Second World War and wouldn't let them hang out indefinitely like they still are in Germany, which obviously was a smart thing to do at the time. He also pulled France out of NATO and they weren't reintegrated into NATO's strategic command until former French president Nicolas Sarkozy took over in 2007. And it's been a kind of a disaster ever since. Former President Jacques Chirac was very gaulliste, as we say, so he's a big disciple and follower of Charles de Gaulle. And, you know, he had the foresight 
and the strategic mindset and knowing history and knowing what de Gaulle's position was and what the Americans could potentially pull Europe into, he kept France rightly so out of that war in Iraq that we're All right, talking Rachel, about I have, now to, I have to jump in here, Rachel. We have to go to a short break. And after that short break, we'll continue our discussion on Macron's visit to China. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter LaBelle. To remind you, we're discussing Macron's visit to China. Okay, let's go back to Anthony in Pittsburgh. Uh, Macron's visit to China was um, uh, it was it was only uh, weeks before that you know China has been uh, on the diplomatic stage as a peacemaker, as a mediator, as a as a peace uh, a peacemaker, and um, and then Macron's visit was kind of the uh, icing on the cake for a lot of the neocons in the West, particularly for the NATO world. I mean, Ch China, you, I, you don't have to agree with its domestic politics or anything like that, but I mean, you know, when it's engaging. The the world with Iran, Saudi Arabia, Syria, a lot of these uh, intractable problems that we've witnessed over the last decade or much longer. And then you have a third power that comes in is that, and, and importantly, doesn't take a side. And this is what you know, the, the global south is seeing <coughs> is that you know, here, here's an outsider with a whole lot of clout. No one d doubts that. And you know, uh, uh, bringing peace and, and lowering of tensions can be done. Now the West doesn't like that. It's the first time in 500 years a non-European Western power has come on the stage in such force. This is what's making them very, very anxious. Macron's trip was just an irritant because he doesn't. He's not staying in line. That which irritates them. But the, the, on, the, on a broader scale, as Rachel pointed out, such a major business deal. Was it with an American company? Was it with the Chinese? Company. This is what's bothering leaders in the West. Go ahead, Anthony. 
No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I go back to something that we talked about just, just a few minutes ago. You know, for the better part of a generation, the U.S. told you what the world was going to be. And what it often tacked onto those agreements was a commitment to democracy, a commitment to the Western definition of democracy, the Western definition of human rights, and so and so on down the line. China is coming in and saying, look, let's talk business. You know, you, you can run your domestic politics the way you want. Let's talk business. And for especially the developing world, this sounds good because, you know, you're not putting in, in, in perhaps a, a cliched example. Many of these countries look and they say, you're not putting strings on, on what we want to do. It's an attractive uh, message to that part of the world. And I think when you look at Western Europe, again, and maybe France, you know, may, maybe it's going to be considered the outlier if, if uh, the, you know, the, 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 the U.S. sort of propaganda effort warms up, as it might in this case. But France is basically saying, hold on a minute here. You know, we're supposed to be friends here. But as Rachel pointed out very clearly, what exactly is happening in Ukraine, however selfishly it might seem, for us as French, for us as Germans, for us as 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 the Brits. You know, what are we getting out of this beyond just being able to rally the flag or wave the flag and rally the cause? We need to see something more concrete. What China is essentially saying in, in its dealings with multiple countries is, look, whatever your politics are, that's your business. We want to talk business no strings attached and in a lot of cases that's working out very well for the chinese and as you're and you're absolutely right and very frustrating for the americans well you know rachel the, the problem is with i have with a, a western foreign policy led by the united states and it's it's always this kind of fake moral play which i i find very very irritating because it doesn't solve any problems okay i mean it's it, you know autocracy democracy i mean you know we can go and have a beer i guess in time about that, but it's not going to change anything, okay? And what, you know, what the, and what importantly, and Macron agreed with his Chinese counterpart, which really uh, irritated uh, the neocons in the West, is that, you know, you know, you know, in this conflict in Ukraine has to be resolved with everyone's security interests, okay? Everyone. And that's why we have this mess in the first place. I don't want to go uh, uh, off the path too, uh, too wildly here, but I mean, the, the whole point is, is that everybody wants security, everyone has to make secure uh, compromises for everyone else's. That's how you go about doing it. And that's, again, the Chinese approach with its so-called peace plan, it's not really a peace plan, it's basically, you know, laying the lay, uh, lay of the land on how to move forward here. And it's all about security, but if you link it, listen to Blinken, it's all about your moral character. Rachel. Yeah, well, I think all of this moral kind of lecturing and I think it's all just really convenient cover for chaos. I mean, maybe they think that if enough people hear that everything is really goodwilled, then they'll think that there's a means to an end. But it, for, for whatever reason, the U.S. in all of its foreign military interventions has never been able to really parlay the chaos into all the goodwill that they keep proclaiming. Um, they can't translate the, the war action to economic stability action that they seem to, to really want. It gets lost in translation somewhere along the way. And yet here we have China, which has just decided, hey, maybe we'll just leave the chaos part out <laughs> and just go in and 
make some deals. And yeah. the only real response that we hear from the mm -hmm. West to that is, oh, watch out, it's a debt trap. What is the IMF, guys? <laughs> What's the IMF? What are these IMF loans? That's absolutely not a debt trap, right? And China has painstakingly responded to that accusation and said, look, no, you know, this they've showed many times over, and I'm sure the audience has seen examples of this um, in various articles online as well, that no, I mean, there's there's no real debt trap involved. And yet nobody in the West actually says, well, you know, the IMF, which, by the way, is extending funding to Ukraine now already, is very quick to get in there and set up a debt trap. Exactly that. And China's saying, look, no, we're, we're trying things a different way. Um, which really, I mean, it, it blows my mind that the West, with all its brain, supposed brain power and um, best and brightest, couldn't come up with that in the first place. Why do we have to always go through chaos to get to stability? Why don't we just start with stability and business deals? Trump tried that approach, and they hated him for it. <laughs> Well, I mean, well, he, Rachel, he, he, you can li love him or hate him. At least he didn't start a new war. I mean, that's a point right. in his. I'm sorry, that's a he point in his corner. It's a point he in was, his corner. He was looking for deals, right? He was looking for well, deals. That's it. Go ahead, Anthony. Go ahead, jump in. Keep a point here in mind too. You know, two presidents and the very beginnings of their term, Barack Obama went to the Middle East and essentially said, "Look, I apologize for what my predecessor did." Here in the United States, there was a sizable amount of, po of the population, especially on the right and especially in the military world, that thought that was a sign of weakness. Uh, Biden began, begins his presidency with a uh, the, the first real high stakes meeting is with Blinken and 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 uh, multiple members of of the U.S. government meeting ch their Chinese counterparts in in Anchorage. It begins with a lecture from Blinken that the Chinese basically turn around and say, "Uh, uh, you're not gonna you're not going to to lecture us." That that sort of lecturing is seen as a strength in the United States. My point being, if you start playing to domestic audiences, as as the, you know, two presidents attempted to do, this notion of of being a peacemaker, of trying to say, hey, look, we want to be a better actor than perhaps we've been in the past. In too many quarters in this country right now, especially with the divided electorate that we have, that's seen as being weak, that's seen as kowtowing to, to whatever country or whatever part of the world you want to look at. And yet, the, the ability for the United States to walk in because of its economic powers, because of its military might, to be able to walk in with a serious believable, credible message that says, wait a minute, let's try to come up with solutions. The, the, the challenge with, with presenting a message that way is that there's so much history in which countries look at and say, yeah, wait a minute, where's the well, trap door? Uh, well, you know, an, Anthony, we're expecting the rug to come out. Yeah, but Anthony, you know, it, you know who blew up the, uh, the the Nord Stream pipelines? Okay, you know, I mean, I mean the world, point, this is right, a story right. that just continues around the world. You won't hear it in European and American. I mean, and German media, they don't even talk about it. That's how bad things are. Rachel, I want to go back to something you said I think is so very important. And if we compare what the Chinese are doing, is that the Chinese are not lecturing anyone about, you know, how countries should behave. It's like, why don't we just take a baseline, let's see, ah, oh, the UN Charter, maybe we should use that as a baseline, okay? 
That is, that's a smart way of approaching things right now. Instead of saying, well, you, you, you talk to that country and, and we're not supposed to talk to that. I mean, that's like high school. That's like being in the cafeteria in high school, but, you know, mean girl stuff here. I mean, and, and I'm glad going full circle that Macron is actually saying, it, what's better, you know, it's better for us as Frenchmen to have a better relationship with China. And the Americans are not going to be the ones that are be calling the shots. I mean, he said it. We'll see what mm -hmm. the actions are going to be. Rachel. Yeah, it just blows my mind that people are, especially the neocons, which obviously that part isn't too surprising. They're upset whenever anybody deviates from their particular agenda, whether it's foreign or domestic. Mm -hmm. But it blows my mind that people actually think that what Macron is saying here is like he's touching some kind of a taboo third rail in French politics. I mean, that was pretty much the status quo in French politics for decades. And um, he's just kind of trying to bring things back to um, like a more reasonable position because it just seems like um, everybody just really needs to calm down right now. Nobody's thinking too clearly. Um, the U.S. is just kind of dragging everyone along on this adventure right. and Europe's riding shotgun and they haven't really thought this through. And I mean, we've been talking about this all along. Where where are the darts on the board? Where are the wins for Europe? And I think the reality is slowly starting to set in, and they're starting to sober up a bit. Rachel, I have a question. For, I, I have a question for you. One minute we have left here. Rachel, how much is Macron thinking about his legacy? I, I mean, I. I can't really say because I don't know the guy and I yeah, don't but, it's the hard reason, to know the, what the, he's the thinking reason, at a given no, point. The reason why I bring it up is that, you know, he's really gone on to a third rail here, okay? I mean, mm -hmm. he, you know, he doesn't have to do that. He can just ride along like everybody else, okay? But he yeah. suddenly stood yeah. up and said something different. I just have to wonder if he's gonna he's worried about how history is gonna remember him. Thirty seconds, Rachel, go ahead. Um, it could be because this is his last term. So he has I guess five years left now to kind of make his mark and all that's really been on the cards for him so far has been he's careened from one crisis to another and he's just been in a reactive mode responding to everything whether it's COVID or the economics or Ukraine and and I think at this point he might want to put his stamp on something yeah I, th I think that oh, could well, be the case well, um, but again I mean Macron is very good and I think this is really important to underscore. He's very good at what the French call le en même temps. In other words, this is true, and also that is true. And, <laughs> you know, so it's like, which values do uh, you, you know, like those that, values? That, we have those values. That's a perfect well. way, that's so a perfect way to end the program. I want to thank my guests <laughs> in Vancouver and in Pittsburgh. I want to thank our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. And remember, Crosstalk Rules.